Welcome to the Thrive Church Weekly Podcast. We pray that you will be blessed and encouraged by this message today. Thanks for tuning in. Thank you. Well, good to see you all this morning. Thanks for tuning out on this lovely winter's morning. It is um, fantastic to have you all here. And you are looking really awesome this morning. Really cool. Hey, just want to shout out to the crew of girls in that area over there who are still gorgeous today, but were looking incredibly stunning last night in their formal dresses. You're beautiful. Each one of you, you're so cool. Um, And just um, Sean and Carmen too, just want to honour you guys and say just well done on being incredible parents and on choosing to do your parenting with God as as your centre and for going, actually, above all else, we want our kids to be um, in His hands and we want them surrendered to Him as well. So well done on, on your decisions. You guys are awesome. Okay, this morning, like Glenn said, we're in um, second week of Clean Hands, Pure Hearts. And I just want to start by telling you a story about an incredible lady that was born at the end of the 1800s. And her name is Amy Semple McPherson. She was an evangelist, and she just radically changed the world around her. But about her, she wrote songs, hymns, operas. She preached thousands of sermons. Um, She graduated over 8,000 ministers from Bible college. She gave over a million dollars worth of aid during the Great Depression, and she saw many people healed as well. If you Google her, you'll find all sorts of interesting things about her. You'll find controversy and all that sort of stuff, as there is with anybody um, in that kind of role. But her ministry methods were ahead of their time and very highly creative as well. Most of the persecution for her, just like when Jesus walked on the earth, was from the religious people, though. But she was all about never settling for the mediocrity of a normal religious life. She was about shaking the world for God with freedom, with boldness, with wisdom, and being uninhibited and freely demonstrating the love of God, the goodness of God. Now, this story could have gone a whole lot different, though. When she entered high school in 1905, Darwin's theory of evolution was becoming very popular, and suddenly all the textbooks were filled with this theory. She hadn't given her life to Jesus at this stage. Um, She'd been raised to know the Bible, um, but she could also see the hypocrisy of Christians around her, saying one thing, doing another. She was shocked and insulted by Darwin's claims. And so she, like being the learner that she was and being the person that wasn't afraid to kind of go and confront things, she went to her science professor and um, probably rather than questioned, it probably would have been hammered him with like, what's going on with this theory? And he said, well, read this list of books. So she accepted the challenge. She finished all the books. But in her reading, she finally decided that Darwin's theory had to be true because, after all, the church no longer practised everything that was in the Bible. It seemed the church was only a social gathering for plays and entertainment, and there were no miracles being worked like those she read about in the Bible. She began debating with visiting ministers and asking them why did they preach if there were no signs and wonders following, no miracles today. And she finally came to the conclusion that according to her beliefs, if portions of the Bible weren't true, were no longer true, then none of the Bible could be true. She reasoned that if there was a leak in one place, the whole thing just had to be thrown out. So she decided to become an atheist. But 
I love the fact that there is always a but with God. He was drawing her. He was pulling her in. And one night after she'd been having a big debate with one of the ministers, she went home. She threw open her shutters. She gazed out at the night sky, at the stars, and she was just moved by the magnificence of the heavens. And she said that someone had to have made this. And she longed to know who or what. No more stories. She wanted the facts. So she prayed this. She said, Oh God, if there be a God, reveal yourself to me. Two days later, he answered here. It happened like this. She walked into a church meeting, unlike anything she'd ever been to before. And the evangelist who was preaching um, would later become her husband, actually. But he was speaking from the book of Acts, and the words that he spoke just pierced her heart. Um, He actually spoke in tongues, in his heavenly language, in his God prayer language. And as he spoke, Amy clearly understood everything that was being said. It was the voice of God to her, showing her who he was and answering her prayer. And she wrote this. She said, from that moment on to this day, I have never doubted that there was a God. Three days later, she gave her life to Jesus and she said suddenly that the sky was filled with brightness. The trees, the fields, the little snowbirds were all praising the Lord and smiling on me. Amazing. That's a picture of her up there. Had a dramatic flair. Um, Her destiny, though, could have been so different if she'd listened to the popular voices of the day, if she'd listened to society and been swayed by it, or if she'd stayed locked up in the religion of the church. But when she cried out to God, he met her and turned her life around. So at the turn of the last century, 1900s, society was facing secularisation. It was facing a really big push towards evolution and watered down Christianity. And God used people like Amy, like her husband, and many other famous people and unknown people to just bring the reality of God and to preach the same God that raised Jesus from the dead was still living and active. Now, today, God is looking for his people. He's looking for you. He's looking for me, his church, to carry the full gospel. You know, we're facing the same stuff, maybe in a slightly different way, but we're facing secularization. We're facing um, just political correctness on every front and the inability to really say what we think. And we could be facing watered-down Christianity too if we give in to political correctness. We need to be the ones who believe God, who will take his word, every part of it, as truth, and who will live out his gospel as followers of Jesus. You know, and we're called to trust him, to trust the word of God. You know, we might, the situations that we might be seeing might be different to what the Bible says, but that doesn't alter our trust in who God is and in the fact of the truth of his word. He's calling us to remain strong in that, to live by faith and not by sight, and to keep moving towards him, to see everything he's got for us. You know, we're living in a world that just absolutely needs to know the authentic. They need to know the real, and that is the cry of so many people's hearts. No, they don't want hypocrisy. The world wants reality, and we're called to be people that carry that. It's okay if we don't understand everything right now. Give you permission. We don't have to understand it, but we need to be saying yes to God. Yes, I believe your word, and I'm going to go on a journey with you. So clean hands, pure hearts. Let's look at Psalm 24 again. Glenn shared from this last week. It says this, Who may ascend the mountain of the Lord? Who may stand in his holy place? the one who has clean hands and a pure heart, who does not trust in an idol or swear by a false God. So when I say the words clean or pure, 
what comes to your mind? What's the first thing that comes to your mind? What does it, how does it make you feel? Does it give you a picture of something like really nice, something clean and beautiful and fresh? Does it make you feel comfortable? Do you feel good about those words? Or do they give you that kind of queasy, sick feeling in your tummy like, I don't really want to think about that? The first thing that I picture when I um, think of the word pure is this next picture up here. Pure New Zealand spring water. Doesn't it look good? Who wants a drink of that right now? Looks amazing. And fun fact here, the purest water on earth is apparently bottled Japanese water from glacial ice. You could buy some of this for the small price of around $1,000 a litre. That must be some pretty pure water right there. But we're not talking about water today. And the dictionary definition of the word pure means not mixed, not adulterated with any other substance or material, without any unnecessary elements, free of contamination and refined. Yeah, so we could say a pure heart is free of contamination. It's refined. It's not mixed with any other substance. I'm going to tell you a bit of my story about all of this. So I became a Christian when I was a child, and then probably for around the next 20 years, um, when I heard the word pure or clean, I'd be thinking, okay, right, I can't do that. I can't do that. I must do this. I've got to do this better. Um, I need to watch my language. I need to make sure I'm honouring people, that um, I'm being nice to people. And then if I do something wrong, then I just feel so incredibly guilty I don't know if you guys have had the experience of feeling so guilty like that, but it's not a fun place to be in. And I knew that Jesus had died for my sin, the things, the things that I'd done wrong, so that I could have a relationship with God, but it hadn't really made that heart connection um, to make me feel guilt-free, to really live like that. I'd ask for forgiveness, hands stuff to God, um, but I didn't really understand the fact that I had to let it go as well and that I had to actually accept his forgiveness instead of mulling it over and thinking what I could have done different. And I also had this idea that I just had to keep living, like trying really hard to live right. Like I just had to keep doing more and more stuff, doing things right, that it was up to me. And I did genuinely want to do the right thing, um, but I didn't really understand grace. As you see, living with clean hands and a pure heart, it's not actually about being good enough. It's not about me being good enough because, or you being good enough because we actually can't do this. It's about the fact that Jesus is good enough. The fact that Jesus as a man without sin took my place, took your place of punishment because all sin has to be paid for somehow. He did that so that we could be forgiven and so that God could declare us innocent. And I'm going to share a vulnerable moment with you as well. Um, so Glenn was my first proper boyfriend. I say proper as in you don't count the ones that are two weeks when you're year nine, generally. So first real boyfriend. And I was determined to not cross any physical boundaries of like, you know, going too far or anything like that. But I don't think I really understood the war between flesh and your, your hormones and all that and the war between your spirit and... And so I crossed boundaries that I shouldn't have, and I was really, really disappointed in myself. Um, Yay for God's grace, though. Um, And we had some really amazing pastors that um, we ended up doing relationship um, counselling with. And they helped us with accountability, and that empowered us to then honour each other so that um, we could stay pure until we were married. 
And if you're in a relationship, or maybe you're not there yet, just store this away for future reference, find somebody, maybe another couple, that scares you a little bit, scares you enough, that you know they're going to ask you the tough questions and you really want to tell them a right answer. So find somebody like that. Just That's for free, that bit. So... I received God's forgiveness, tried to forgive myself, but this kind of just kept niggling at the back of my mind. And it wasn't until a few years later that I really understood the power of Jesus to forgive and His grace to restore us. So we were youth pastors here and we were just helping a couple through some relationship stuff. And I remember saying to Chris and Ruth, um, they were also pastors at the time, just, I said something like, how can I be talking to them about this relationship stuff when I've struggled in that area myself? It was just like, I just felt disqualified to talk to them about that. Um, and then a little while later, I find like sitting on the floor of my bedroom for me is a really great place to talk to God. So that's what I do. I was sitting on the floor of my bedroom, talking to God, talking about all of this and probably feeling really bad about it again. And then suddenly I had this picture of Jesus just coming and just putting this beautiful white garment over my head, this white gown on me, pure white. And the thing that was really highlighted to me at that time is that he did it. He came and put it on me. It wasn't me putting it on myself and I wasn't even going to look for it. He just put it on me. And in that moment too, this verse that I'm going to share in a minute became really um, real to me, I guess, for the first time. This is Isaiah 64, verse 6. All of us have become like one who is unclean, and all our righteous acts are like filthy rags. I realised that all my attempts at living right, even if I did manage to do the right thing, they were never going to be good enough. Even if I'd managed to keep all my boundaries, it was not going to be good enough. Now, I know you're already probably feeling a little bit uncomfortable. Going to make you feel a bit more uncomfortable. Glenn was like, are you sure you want to say this? I'm like, yeah. So guys, apologies, but bear with. So the Hebrew phrase, filthy rags, as found this out in the last couple of weeks, literally means like as rags of menstruation. So, yeah, you're right. Okay, (laughs) hold on to your seat. It's going to be all right. It'll get better. The contrast between clean white cloth and menstrual rags is extreme. But God is literally saying through the prophet Isaiah that all the right things that we try and do, our own efforts at being good, are just incredibly dirty in comparison to how pure He is. There's actually no possible way for us ourselves to ever measure up to His standard of holiness. Now, the Old Testament, um, scholars have agreed there's something like 613 laws, um, rules on how to live, guidelines um, to help them to live well, and um, we sure need a moral compass to live by. But there's a lot of laws to keep. Um, If you'd been raised as an Israelite, this would have been like drummed into you from the time you were probably born, Um, all of these rules, all of these laws. It wasn't just that you had these laws and then you had the rest of life. This is all part of life together. Um, Moses even encouraged them to write it like on the door frames, write the rules on the door frame. You would have had teachers that their job would have been to instruct you in, in all these laws and how they related to each other and how they actually played out in daily living. You would have known the law. But it's one thing to know all these rules and it's a total other thing to actually be able to keep them. If you did manage to keep them, then just like we talked about, your own effort was still never going to measure up. See, the laws were only ever there to show us, well, first of all, to show us how to live well, but the main reason they were there is to show us that we actually couldn't do it on our own, that we actually needed a saviour, that we needed God. 
Romans chapter 7, verse 7 says, it was the law that gave us the clear definition of sin. So the law was there to tell us what sin was. And sin just being the wrong things that we do that keep us separated from God. So the law was never going to be enough to make us right before God, but it would show us our need of God. Hebrews chapter 10, there's some really fantastic verses about it um, here. I just want to read a few to you. Starting in verse 1, The old system of living under the law presented us with only a faint shadow, a crude outline of the reality of the wonderful blessings to come. Even with its steady stream of sacrifices offered year after year, there still was nothing that could make our hearts perfect before God. By God's will, we have been purified and made holy once and for all through the sacrifice of the body of Jesus the Messiah. For our hearts have been sprinkled with his blood to remove impurity and we've been freed from an accusing conscience and now we are clean, unstained and presentable to God inside and out. Amen. Freed from an accusing conscience, clean. And that's what God did for me in that moment um, when I was sitting on my bedroom floor and he showed me his purity and the fact that he's good enough. So the Old Testament is a question. Jesus is the answer. Second Corinthians chapter 5 says this, God made him who had no sin to be sin for us so that in him we might become the righteousness of God. Jesus is our saviour. He's our answer. He carried our sin, but more than that, he actually became sin for us so that we could be made righteous. And that just means simply that we could be made in right standing with him. When God looks at me, when he looks at you, he looks at us through Jesus and he sees us as clean. He sees us as innocent. Not only that, you know, he looks at us and he can smile at our lives because of what Jesus has done. You know, but there's this big battle, our own flesh warring against um, the spirit of God within us, this fight for doing the right things. And it's really hard. Like, maybe you guys don't struggle with this, but Choosing to tell the truth to someone when a little lie would make you look a whole lot better, that can be hard. Choosing, oh, here's a hard one. Choosing to respond in love when actually we would just rather give someone a piece of our minds. Choosing to not just live for pleasure right now, but living for the future, um, yourselves and others in mind. Choosing to speak well of your teachers and parents when actually they might really frustrate you. This is not easy, and we need the Holy Spirit to empower us to live like this. Heard this amazing quote in the last week. Some of you might have heard it. Somebody that I think is really famous and amazing, Glenn Fraser. He said this, The devil wants us to think that holiness, we could say purity, is about what we can't do. But it's not a handbrake. It's a catalyst for a greater expression of what God has for us. I'm going to read the last bit again. Holiness is not a handbrake. It's a catalyst for a greater expression of what God has for us. Glenn talked last week about keys in this fight. He talked about repentance, which is just simply means turning around. He talked about the power of confession and the need to respond to what Jesus has done for us. And repentance is just, it's a doorway of opportunity for us to access not only his grace, but his kingdom and his purposes for our lives now. Repentance is not a scary word. It's a powerful, life-changing word. So let's just look at this phrase, pure hearts, for a little bit longer. Um, the Hebrew word for pure 
um, doesn't actually just mean clean, it can also mean empty. So we could say a pure heart is also an empty heart, a heart that isn't clogged up with the issues, with the stuff of life, it's free. A pure heart is a heart that is guarded from the issues of life, like it says in Proverbs. And I love um, a tool that Glenn gave us last week too, that just to help us to live free in light is just at the end of each day, just take a moment with God and say, God, is there anyone I need to forgive? God, is there anything from today that I need to let go? God, is there anything that you want me to take hold of today? I encourage you, just put that into your routine of life. The purity of heart is not about following a list of rules. I just really want to make this clear. It's not about that. I think it's so much more than that. It's less about doing and it's more about being. It's who we are on the inside. It's not about what I can and can't do, but about what he has done for me. And out of that, what I want to do for him, to honour him. I really believe that God is calling us up in this area, calling up us up in this area of purity. And just interesting, um, the songs that we're singing this morning, and in, in this, the second to last song, it talks about clean hands, pure hearts, good grace, good God. That's what it's all about, his grace, because he's a good God over our lives. And it's interesting, often actually a song is released um, as a prophetic statement as well of God, what God is wanting to do. And then you'll find, you'll notice it in the church too actually, that we'll start singing a song and then actually God releases something um, into the church. So yeah, I'm believing that song is a prophetic statement of what God's wanting to release here. So, but, but why pure hearts? Like, what's the point? If it's so hard, if it's such a struggle to do the right thing, and if actually there's a part of us that really doesn't want to do the right thing sometimes, why even bother with pure hearts? You're asking that, eh? So let me tell you why. Um, Matthew chapter 5, it's the Beatitudes. It's talking all about um, when God says, you'll be blessed if you do this. You'll be blessed if you do that. And in verse 8, love this verse here, and I think this is our why. Blessed are the pure in heart, for they will see God. The Passion Translation puts it this way, What bliss you experience when your heart is pure, for then your eyes will open to see more and more of God. And to see there is a Greek word which means to gaze, and that's with wide open eyes as though you're looking at something absolutely remarkable. It's not just a passive glance that way, or it's not something casual but it's gazing at something remarkable. You know, by keeping our hearts pure, clean and clear, we'll gaze more and more at God and we'll see more of who He is and how remarkable He is because pure hearts see God. And in that place of truly seeing Him, of knowing Him, fear is gone. When we're looking at Him face to face, love is understood, peace is found, joy is realised, hope is restored, freedom is found. When we see him, not only will we know him, but I believe we're also going to know ourselves a whole lot better too. Back to Psalm 24 for a minute. The Passion Translation says this, Who then ascends into the presence of the Lord? Who has the privilege of entering into God's holy place? Those who are clean, whose works and ways are pure, whose hearts are true, they will receive the Lord's blessing and righteousness given by the Saviour God. They will stand before God for they seek the pleasure of God's face. That's what we're talking about when we're talking about pure hearts see God, seeing Him face to face. And another big why. 
This is a really interesting one. After the Beatitudes in Matthew, the next passage of Scripture that follows on is talking about um, light and salt. I want to read a little bit to you, starting in verse 13. It says this, Your lives are like salt among the people, but if you like salt become bland, how can your saltiness be restored? Flavourless salt is good for nothing. It will be thrown out and trampled on by others. Your lives light up the world. A lamp is placed where everyone in the house can benefit from its light. So don't hide your light. Let it shine brightly before others so that the commendable things you do will shine as light upon them and then they will give their praise to your Father in heaven. Pure hearts change the world. Now salt makes things taste good. And if I were to offer you a bowl of fries right now, and if I were to say, okay, this bowl is just as is, as you see it, there's nothing added, and this bowl has like a seasoned with, let's say, um, pink Himalayan sea salt. Yeah. Which one would you choose? Some of you might choose the first one. I think most of you, though, would probably go for the one seasoned with sea salt or Himalayan salt because it improves the flavour. Salt also cleans things, and it's a very good healer for the skin, salt water. So the saltiness of our lives is meant to enhance the lives of everybody around us. It's meant to make things better, make a difference to the world. And let's look at light for a moment. Even just a hint of light, like one tiny candle flame, is enough to dispel darkness totally. It shows the way, and it brings clarity, brings a sense of safety. As followers of Jesus, our light is meant to show the way. And it's meant to benefit other people's lives. To be salt and light in this world, though, our lives have to look different. We can't just be going along with the just general way that society is going and just, yep, we're going this way. Our lives are meant to look different. They're meant to be different. Amy McPherson, she was looking for authentic Christian people who believed the full gospel and lived it out. People who weren't hypocritical, what many people are still looking for today, for someone to be able to live the gospel out, not saying one thing and doing another. I believe that's what this world needs. And it's so much more than clean hands. This is way bigger. This is way bigger than doing the right thing. This is about allowing Jesus to so fully have our lives, fully have every part of us, that we speak Him, that we breathe Him, that we live Him, and for the Holy Spirit to fill us so much that we are empowered to live for Him and to release His love around us. For our hearts to be unmixed, unblended, uncontaminated by our own desires or by our past, by guilt, by the lies we've been believing. That our hearts would be just so refined and solid for Him. At the start of the year, on the 4th of January, I was just taking some time to journal and I may have shared a little bit of this before, but I just felt to share it again. Um, what I felt God said at that time was this. I'm looking for a church who is ready and willing to stand out, to be noticeably different from the world. Yes, it looks like the world is getting darker, with a whole lot of grey too. But people are going to want what you have. They're going to want what this church has. They're going to look to the church for answers. More purity this year, but also more of my glory. Holiness, then glory, repentance, and then restoration. You know, God has so much for this church and for this region, but I really believe that it starts with 
pure hearts and how we respond to Him, how we respond to His love. A pure heart, like I said, is an empty heart. It lets go. It forgives. A pure heart is a dependent, trusting heart. It's dependent on the cross. It's dependent on Jesus, on His grace, on the fact that He is good enough. And a pure heart is a surrendered heart. It's a heart that each day, every moment throughout the day chooses God. That says, God, your will before my own. And I believe that God's calling us today to live with a pure heart, to live with a heart that is empty of the stuff of life, to live with a heart that's dependent on Him and a heart that is surrendered to Him. This morning I just felt specifically God was just speaking to um, three different areas and I just want to share them with you and then we're going to take a moment to just respond to God. So let's just stand to our feet as well if we do this. The first area I felt is there's been some people struggling with guilt. Maybe like me, um, you've struggled with things that you've done in the past and you kind of know that God's forgiven you, but you just haven't been able to let it go. It's time to lay that to rest. That was the words I felt God say for some people today. It's time to lay the guilt to rest. You need to know you're forgiven and that you're good enough because Jesus has made you good enough. Shame off you today. The second area was for just people whose hearts have become clogged. It's time to empty it out before God. The issues, the hurt, the offence. It's time to let go and with God's help to forgive. The third area is surrender. Maybe this is one that can speak to all of us in some way. But it's time for us to choose God like maybe we have never done before. To say yes to Him in a new way. Every day saying, God, I want your will before my own desires. This morning, the altar, just up the front, we just use that funny word. But altar is basically just means a place where we get altered by God. And this morning... If you're feeling like you need to just lay the guilt to rest, like you need to empty your heart before God or like you need to surrender to Him in a new way, then I just invite you right now just to come to the front, to come and have a moment with God where you lay it before Him. Thanks again for tuning in to the Thrive Church weekly podcast. Stay up to date with everything that is happening by following us on social media 